In Ephesians 4, I'll begin reading again in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so this morning we reviewed and brought us up in our understanding here that the aim, the passion, the heartbeat of these men that have been gifted back to the church is for the good and the maturity of the church itself. That's why Paul was so zealous for the church. That's why he could really voluntarily give his life for something that is way above him. That is Christ. And you say, well, he lived for Christ. He didn't live for the church. But the church and Christ are one. They're not separated. You can't serve Christ and not serve the church. And you can't serve the church properly without serving Christ. They're one. As Christ told Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul did not think that he was persecuting God. He did not think that he was persecuting the Messiah. But was he? He was. And people today and young people today are looking to live for something greater than themselves. Well, guess what? This is it. You say, this is so depressing. You don't have your eyes to see. What He's doing, the supernatural work of Jesus Christ in the church. And folks, this is all functioning together. The missionary that goes to the mission field, he's going there to plant something that's way above him. The church in that geographical location. Is it going to take the work of the Holy Spirit? It is. To have a New Testament church requires the work of Christ's own Spirit to bring it about, to bring it to pass. Here's that foundation that's laid on that foreign mission field or across the road in a city. Here's that foundation laid. No other foundation can be laid but that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Okay, there's the foundation. But now we got to build on it. You got to build on it. <clears throat> and some people lay the foundation and some people build, but they're all what? Folks, one's not greater than the other. Who's great is God. Who's working through the men. No, every man receives his own reward, but a missionary, a pastor, an evangelist, we're just just part of the church, selected by Christ for the good of the church. That's that's all we are. What a blessing that is. 
These men and the gifts that these men are are for the equipping of the saints. They are for the preparation, if I could word it this way, they are for the preparation of the bride. The preparation of the bride. It's like all the work that we do. It's not an exact parallel, but it's like all the work you do getting ready for the wedding day. The invitations, the preparation, preparation of yourself, the garments, the clothes, the people, all that comes together. That special day, <clears throat> you know, you don't go in there, the lady doesn't go in there, and she says, well, today I don't want to shampoo and do my hair. It's a special day, right? It's preparing for that day. So that, so that the church will appear on that day with no spot and no blemish. That's what we're working for. A congregation of people that I might present to the Lord having no spot and no wrinkle. And how many is that true for? Every member of that local New Testament body. And isn't it strange that that same heartbeat is the heartbeat of a husband? Isn't that interesting? He's to have the same heartbeat in his home. And what a blessing it is. I've said this many, many times when the church and the home are in harmony. That's really a powerful, powerful thing. These men are for the preparation of the bride. They are for the setting in order like a doctor would set a bone that has been broken. They are for the purpose of maturity. They're not growing up big children. Their aim is maturity. And there is characteristics of that maturity and that maturity is Christ. He is our standard. And so Paul would say, work out your salvation. Work out that salvation that God has implanted in you with fear and trembling. We are to warn and model and encourage and teach. And that's going to take a whole life. It's not, it's not an eight to five thing. As one man said, Pastor, how long have you been preparing to preach this message? And I could say, since I've been born again. That preparation that goes into not only knowing the knowledge, but working out the knowledge and seeing that knowledge function in my life and in those to whom I'm ministering. It is the equipping of the saints for the work of service or for the work of ministry or for the work of serving. Serving who? One another within that local New Testament assembly. And folks, if you look at verse 16, what you're going to find out is, know what it says, the whole body... Being fitted, being fitted. Everybody see that phrase? Who put you here in this body? Christ did. 
you were fitted for this body. And that body is held together by what you're supplying to the body. By your serving one another. And that's what an evangelist, pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet does. We have the effects of those two ministries in our Bible. And it's that Bible which equips us to do the good work. So let's take a look at that passage. I mentioned it this morning, but go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading back in chapter 3, in verse 14. Paul writes Timothy, he's fixing to leave, and he says, Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom, those sacred writings give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now look at 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for these things. Teaching. What does a pastor teacher do? Teaches. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness toward this end, Timothy, that you, Timothy, the man of God, may be adequate, equipped. Everybody see that? Equipped for how many good works? All good works that need to be going on in a local New Testament assembly. It doesn't mean that I'm equipped to repair a car. Right? Now, I could repair the car if somebody taught me with the right spirit that I've been equipped with. That would be a challenge. But I've been equipped for every good work through the God-breathed Scripture that has been given to us. So if that's the case, chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom, preach that word. Be ready. In season, out of season. Reprove. We've already saw that. Rebuke. We've seen that. Exhort. We've seen that. With great patience and instruction. And endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry because there's coming a day when people that are in the pews really won't give themselves to sound doctrine. They want their ears itched. And they will even go so far to have churches and select pastors that do that. And that does create a hardship on a man of God. But the point that I'm bringing out here is this, that my tools in doing what I'm doing is the product of the apostles and the prophets. It's the scriptures. 
I'm not here to give you new revelation. I'm here to give you what's already been preached and taught. That faith which has been once delivered to the saints. And we have all kinds of speculation, and I love to do that, but we recognize it's speculation. But the job is to preach the word that's already been given. And folks, that word that's already been given is able to equip not just me, but us unto every good work. And this is why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, give attendance to reading. Give yourself to these things, to the doctrine. Because if you would do this, Timothy, you would save yourself. That doesn't mean Timothy was unregenerate. He's talking about sanctification. You would save yourself and who? Those who hear you. That's the job of that evangelists and pastors and teachers. And folks, when we're talking about being raised up to maturity as a congregation, do we know what that would look like? <clears throat> well, I think we would say to ourselves, we do. It's Christ. But you know, just saying Christ can make it a little fuzzy. Do we really know what that maturity looks like? Well, we looked at a passage this morning in Philippians. Here's a mark of maturity. I count everything but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Do you hear that? Now, we're all going to have that maturity in different measures, in different degrees, but it ought to be there, and you and I ought to be working on that. Here's another attitude. I just want to know Him. And the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. Would you call that a mature attitude? That's a mature attitude. We all are to be striving for that. Or this. Here's, here's a good attitude. I'm going to forget what lies behind. All my successes, all my failures. And I'm going to press on to that high calling that is in Christ. Would that mean maturity? Folks, our nation is dying to see congregations that are passionate about that and living it out. Instead, we're like a bunch of children saying, come play in my sandbox. Instead of striving for that which is mature. And folks, when we stand before Christ at that beam of judgment, you know, I'm not sure that he's going to say, okay, tell me how many people you won to Christ or tell me how many tracts you passed out. I think he knows that. Yes? I think he's going to be looking for his attributes in your life. That's the good works. 
And so for a pastor, those attributes are to be in him and those attributes are to be communicated. If he's faithful in that way, then he's a faithful builder. And folks, it is my desire, my hope, my dream that I can present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And that I will not have run in vain, but I will have seen the Lord work through His Word in the lives of a congregation to behold it with my eyes very faintly in this life, but to see the beauty and the glory of it in the next. That's what I live for. You say, well, that is so strange. But that's what you ought to be living for. You ought to be living for this. What would it look like? Well, let's just look at a couple of passages. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Paul begins this by talking about how you think. He says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the what of their mind? In the futility of their mind. Lost people, the world, their thinking is darkened. It's vain. It's empty. It's worthless in the eyes of God. Was that how you want to walk? Is that the type of mind that we want when we stand before the Lord? The answer to that is what? Absolutely not. We want to renew our minds. Notice what he says down in verse 20 after he talks about don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of your mind. And then he describes that futility. And then he just says in verse 20, you don't learn Christ this way. You didn't learn Christ this way. (laughs) In other words, Christ never taught you to walk in the futility of your mind. Did he? Never. So come on. Let's learn Christ in how we think together. You look down at verse 25. I mentioned it this morning. Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we're members one of another. Or verse 28 He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, preparing with his own hands what is good, so that he can save up and have a big bank account. Is that what that says? Folks, imagine this. Imagine the world saying to you, you need to work hard and you need to save your money so you can give it away. I've never, never heard anyone, I've never heard an investment firm say that. Come invest with us so that you can give more away. No, they say what? Come invest with us so that you'll you'll have more. But this is the Lord. Part of the good works that we're to learn is giving. That's part of the good works that we have. Look down in chapter 5. We just go right down through here, but chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in what? Walk in love. This isn't the mushy, sentimental type of love. This is the love of the cross. This is Christ saying, 
Love one another as I have loved you type of love. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What would walking in love look like? Would it be self-centered? Would it be all about me? Would it be all about what I want to do? My vocation? No, here's what it would look like. It would look like you being a living sacrifice and giving your life for the church. Isn't that what He did? He gave His life for us. And He's going to say that explicitly in chapter 5. He died for the church. Well, what would an immature walk look like? Well, look at verse 3. Immorality or impurity or greed. May it not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I mean, those things, those things, Paul said, demand a discipline by a local assembly. Verse 4, but now look at this. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather what? Folks, you have a group of people meeting as a local New Testament assembly, and as you mature in Christ, you're going to become more grateful, more thankful to the Lord. Not less more. And you can see that in somebody who is mature in the Lord. You talk to them for any length of time and really get to know them, you'll find them saying like things like, you know what? The Lord's really worked in my life, but it wasn't me, it was Him, and I'm so thankful for it. That characteristic of Christ that you behold in that brother or sister, they're thankful Christ gave it to them. And you're thankful Christ gave it to them. There's a gratitude that goes on. And that's why in the majority of the hymns that we sing, they are hymns of thanksgiving, aren't they? They are exalting the Lord for what He has done and what He is doing in His church and expressing that in song and in music to Him. It's a heartfelt thing. And you could go on through here. You go on and talk about relationships at work or relationships within a family. All of these things are marks of maturity that you and I are to have. And that's what we're laboring for. It's not just me laboring for this. It's how many of us? All of us are laboring for this. All of us are holding ourselves accountable one to another for that maturity. I've told you this before, but... There's been several seasons in my pastorate that, at least for me and my maturity level at that time, were very, very difficult for me. I guess I could even say was depressing. And almost inevitably at those seasons, it may go on for several weeks, but almost inevitably in those seasons, there'll be someone in the congregation that comes up to me after a service and they'll say something like this. They'll go, Pastor, are you okay? 
And I'm like, well, I thought I was. <laughs> you know? What are they picking up? They're picking up a struggle, right? And folks, isn't it a gift when someone comes up to you and says that? Because I'll tell you what it did for me. It gave me gratitude that they noticed. It gave me gratitude they asked. Now if you go up and say, Pastor, you're not okay. Let me give you five ways to fix it. And you don't even know what's going on. Well, that probably won't ingrain a lot of gratitude. But showing the concern, showing the love, the care, one to another, is huge, isn't it? And I'm sure you've had someone come up to you and ask that. I'm sure in your homes that you have asked that. Folks, this is a growing up into maturity. Every saint, every believer, no matter what the age is to be both a support and a part of this building up to see an increase in the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, the filling of the Spirit, the building up of one another in the things of the Lord. And folks, I mentioned this before, but the means of that building is the Word of His grace. Go over to Acts chapter 20. And you just may want to make a notation of this if you haven't already. Paul really loved the church at Ephesus. He loved all the churches, but in that church there was what we would call huge success. And you remember in that city they brought in all their books of witchcraft and piled them up in the middle of the city and lit a match to them. Can you, could you imagine that happening in Richmond? Think of all the libraries that would be burned up. I would call that a huge success of the grace of God, wouldn't you? And he stops by, he wants to say farewell to those elders at Ephesus, and so he calls them and they come. And he gives a little history of his ministry among them. And he says in verse 27, that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. In other words, we can word it this way. Elders, maintain the unity that's there through this ministry. It is the Holy Spirit, verse 28, that has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. And he talks about that after he leaves, <clears throat> there's going to be wolves that come in. So verse 31, he says this, Therefore be on the alert for wolves. Be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. As a 24-7 you see that? 24-7, He's calling you on the phone and encouraging you walk in Christ. Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace which is able. Everybody see that? Which is able to 
to build up or to build you up and to give the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Folks, it's the word of His grace. He didn't say it was His ability. He didn't say it was His giftedness. He wasn't the superstar pastor that brought all this together. What brought it together? What built it up? The word of His grace built that up. So what do you think you ought to be doing in the morning when you wake up with your Bible? Well, you need to comb your grace. You know how you comb your hair and get ready to go to work? You need to take the Bible and groom your soul. And get it ready for the day that you don't know what's going to happen in that day. You need to allow that Word. You need to sit under a ministry that is totally committed to that. Whether it's in season, out of season, whether you like it or whether you don't. What they're committed to is not making you smile. What they're committed to is, I've got to say exactly what this is saying. Because that is the only way that the word of his what? His grace can operate within a local New Testament assembly. And that's what we want. We want His grace working in us and through us. Now as we go back to Ephesians, we have to ask ourselves at this point, well, how long do I do this? I mean, that's a pretty heavy passion that we're to be developing and maturing. But how long are we to do this? And this is what verse 13 tells us. It says, until we all, any exceptions, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What do you mean, Paul? I mean a mature man. I mean the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Folks, we are to keep this aim and purpose until we arrive at the goal. Everybody see that? Till we arrive at the goal. You'll notice that part of the goal is the unity of the faith. We've already talked about that unity. Chapter 4, verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We've talked about in verse 5, the doctrine, one Lord, one faith. Everybody see that? One faith. The unity of the faith. One faith. One baptism. We're to do it until we have the knowledge of the Son of God. And folks, Paul has been telling, he's not only been communicating that knowledge to us, he's been praying that we would see it. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know that the Father of glory would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Ephesians 1, verses 16 and 17. He's told us in chapter 3, verse 10, that whatever this manifold wisdom of God is, it is to be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
And then he prays, verse 18, that we would have the ability to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. And I believe that's referring to the eternal purpose of God in Christ. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that we might be filled up with all the fullness of God. In other words, the church maintains its unity, right? We're to maintain it. And when a new believer comes in, they are to quickly develop the goal of attaining unto the unity of the faith. What does that do? Folks, it brings that person into harmony, right? With the rest of us. Same passion, same aim, same maturity goals. This one thing I do, this is what we're doing. The church is to maintain the knowledge of the Son of God. When a new believer comes into the body, he should have the aim of embracing that fullness of God in the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. And a church has a certain measure and capacity of that. They're not to do what the world does. I heard an illustration. This is a live illustration. Recent illustration. Some professionals out in the world got together and they said, we have a real problem. The <clears throat> problem is that the young people that we're seeing can't, they don't know how to write a letter and they don't know grammar and they can't spell. First recommendation. Well, let's dummy down the requirements. And finally, someone spoke up and said, why don't we maintain the requirements and bring them up? Now, folks, here's my point. A church is to maintain in their growth whatever stature of maturity that it has. And it shouldn't dummy it down. It should maintain it. You say, well, if the person comes in, they're just going to have, I mean, they're just going to look and they're going to think, we're people from outer space. Well, that's what the text says. But if they recognize God among you, did you hear that? They didn't say recognize you or how great you are. They recognize that God is among you in a truth. They will fall down and worship God. That's what people need to see. They need to see Christ in us as a whole functioning as we ought to be functioning. And when they come in, they will give their lives to that which is greater than themselves. Christ and His church. How long are we to be doing that? Well, until we see Him. Folks, when will we be fully spiritual? First Corinthians 15 says, when we see Him, then we will be fully spiritual. 
First John chapter 3 says, we're not basically what we're going to be. But when we see Him, we will be, can you finish? We will be like Him. That's when we can stop striving. So in essence, for a local New Testament assembly to attain certain measures of maturity, we're to be doing that until... If you're talking about under the sun, the church is to be doing it forever. And if it drops it, it eventually will cease to be a church. There's no stop in this warfare. Fighting the good fight of faith until we see Him. And I know this would be a shock to you, but I'm just be plain outright. I don't know of any fully mature person here in our congregation, including the one I look at in the mirror when I dare look. Because remember, folks, what is one of the marks of maturity? It's not walking around saying I'm mature. You may be mature, but it's the pressing on. It's the forgetting those things that lie behind. It's wanting to be more and more conformed unto Him until we see Him. Maintaining this unity means that we maintain our humility before Him. It maintains our goal of walking worthy of that which He has called us. It means that we are walking consistent with the eternal purpose that is in Christ, His revealed will. It means that we have come together in His body, the local New Testament assembly, believing in Him and being justified, growing up in Him and being sanctified, walking in that humility, growing in our doctrine until the day we're glorified and we see Him face to face. And I have to say, that's a wonderful, wonderful purpose for living. You can do a lot of things on earth. We have athletes that run track and they do this and they do that. And they're so excited because they get their name in the world record books. And you listen to them, they'll say... Their name will be in there for posterity from now on that they were number one. I always think, no, they won't. (laughs) Because all those books are going to be burned up. And you've heard the phrase, only what's done for Christ will last. Now folks, when I say that, I don't mean how many things you've physically done. I mean what you've done in the working out of this great salvation in your life. The eternal attributes of God are eternal. They will not leave. And folks, every New Testament church grows in measure. Look at verse 13 again. 
until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, now look at this, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Everybody see that? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word measure there, you know what this word means. It refers to a capacity. If I was to ask you, how many of you have a measuring cup? Okay. You probably all have measuring cups somewhere in your kitchen. What do you do with that? Well, you pour liquid in it and say, I want a cup, I want a cup and a half, I want two cups, and you measure it out, right? Okay, every, every New Testament church, the goal is the fullness of Him that has no length, no breadth, no height, no depth. But folks, we all have capacities, don't we? I want to ask you a question. Can a new believer who's really in many ways subject to being tossed to and fro, but he's a genuine believer, can he be filled with the Spirit? Yes. Is his capacity very large? Yes or no? No. A mature person has greater capacity. A mature church, congregation, has greater capacity to be filled up with the fullness of Christ and for that to be illumined out among us, one to another, so that that illumination, that bright candlestick, is out there for a lost and dying world. And folks, you know this, but I want you to think back with me to Revelation 2 and 3. What is in those two chapters? Seven what? Seven churches. Are they all claimed by Christ? Yes. They all claim by Christ. Did you ever notice that those churches, there's a couple that didn't, but those churches all had good works that Jesus knew about? Did you ever notice that? He talks about, you know, examining false apostles, you know, etc., etc. But did you notice they had failures? I have somewhat against you. Did you notice that the failures all had to do with an attribute of Christ? Did you notice that? Folks, we've been doing this at the Lord's table every for the last five months. We've looked at the church and we I said the solution for that church is the attribute that Christ points out. What was the failure of that church? It was a failure to know or to acknowledge those attributes. It was a failure to hold on to those attributes. It was a failure to see those attributes being brought to pass, brought out in that local congregation. And that agrees with what this text is saying. That conformity to Christ is our aim. And we are to grow up in this. 
So our church's capacity, our church's measure, will never arrive, but our church's measure is when, as a church, each believer as a member of this congregation, in their capacity, walks according to the work of serving one another in this body. Because Christ has placed you in this local New Testament body. So I want to ask you this. Are you committed to this? Now the answer is going to range to I didn't know I was supposed to. All the way up to I am. But even if you am... it can be greater measure. Right? Are you committed to giving your personal self to maturity? Functioning within a local congregation in whom the fullness of Christ is to be seen. That you're committed to the one another. That you're willing to give your life for the good of that person next to you. Now thankfully it doesn't mean literally. But that's your goal. Your goal is maturity And your goal for the person next to you, for the one in the back, the one in the front, is maturity. That's what you're praying for your pastor to be. To be mature. Are you committed to that? Because for our church to be pleasing to the Lord demands that each saint be committed to that in this local New Testament assembly. And it begins with humility, and it begins with giving yourself to the knowledge of the Scripture as it is given to us preeminently in our New Testament, and then working that out with one another. Are you committed to that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.